You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in. It's your Tuesday Locked On Syracuse podcast, Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard. We're going to bring on one of our favorite guys that we have on this show, James Zuba today. You can find his work on NoonsMagician.com. I'm sure all of you know who he is by now. He does excellent work both on Noon's Magician as well on Twitter. You can follow him at James Zuba. And we're going to talk to him about everything going on with Syracuse basketball right now. He's been at the game, so he's going to give us a little insight on what it's like being in the stadium for some of these games. And he's also going to talk to us a little bit about what he's seeing from the guards and stuff like that. What has been the most surprising thing, too, about this team in the early going? A lot of good things, including one of the newest good things about this team. They received four votes in the latest AP poll. So we will talk about all of that with James in just a bit. If you're new to the show, be sure to check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We love interacting with all of you during games and all that good stuff. And also be sure to subscribe to us. If you're listening to this podcast, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff, subscribe. We're the only place that you can get daily Syracuse podcasts in your inbox every single morning. You can get it right in your feed, you're pouring your coffee, and you can get a good dose of orange sports right to start your day, all right? So with that, let's talk with James Zuba. Always fun when we have this guy on. You know, it feels a little overdue now. We're bringing on James Zuba. You know him from Noon's Magician. You also know him from his college basketball. What is this, the chirp tweeting that you do of whenever there's an underperforming program? So James Zuba, what you doing, man? Oh, man. Um, Gonna peg me as a a Twitter troll, but maybe that's what I've become. No, uh, it's I'm doing good, man. Good, good to be back on with you guys. Yeah, it's, it's been long overdue. Um, you know, always a pleasure coming on and talking some hoops with you guys. So, so good to be here. We've got a lot to discuss. I know it's only been five games, but there have been takes flying across the Syracuse Twittersphere, and you've been at I think all these games basically, right? Were you you were at BC, correct? Yeah, I was at BC. Um, I wasn't at Rutgers, and I wasn't at Bryant, and, and I won't be there Wednesday either with a 3 p.m. tip. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been to three games this year and, and two home games in the Dome, and then uh, was at Boston College this past weekend. So, uh, you know, good to get out on the road and, uh, you know, kind of get a little bit of a change of scenery. What is that like, being in an empty Dome, watching a basketball game? It's I mean, you're you're a kid who grew up going to these games, and now you are you go and cover them, and it's just – it's empty. You're used to seeing 25, 30,000 yeah. people in the stands. Yeah, it's, it's totally different. Um, you know, w- without fans, there's certainly a lack of atmosphere. It, it reminds me the most of being a kid at Syracuse basketball camp in the summer. Uh, so, so growing up, that was like the highlight of the summer, you know, being a Syracuse kid. But it, it kind of reminded me of that where there's nobody there. And like the only people that were there were the parents of kids who come out to watch like their bad son self-included play basketball um so it's, it's kind of like that but obviously you know the players are much better and it's, it's just kind of like that that sort of atmosphere but there is like fake noise that's, that's pumped through it it's i'm not a fan of it i think we need to get rid of that in college sports um uh, but you know every, all the new amenities are, are impressive um you know i know i know there's been some criticism of the dome and you know how it's really like putting lipstick on a pig but I, I can say you know the the new video scoreboard is great um the new sound system sounds awesome and the, the lighting's really cool as well so it's it's a different dome but it, it would be a lot better with an atmosphere of fans that's for sure how much can you hear Bayheim or the coaches or the players during and has he like said anything that you picked up that's been funny 
you you can hear Beheim when when he yells, and and you know certainly he's wont to do that at times. So you can you can hear the things he says. Um, yeah, you know the the first one that comes to mind is you know the, the second home game when when Joe Girard wasn't playing so well, he he got ripped. He got you know he turned the ball over, and Beheim just screams out, you know, God damn it, you know, like like right, right as it happened. So that was really fun. Like obviously, you know hearing him say it is a lot funnier than hearing me see it, say it. But uh, yeah, he's, he said a few things like that. Um, you know, Woody, Woody Newton picked up a foul. It was a blocking foul when he was coming out to guard the wing. You know, the guard drove on him and he, he blocked his path and he blocked and Beheim just said, don't do that. It's a foul. You know, so you pick up on little things like that that are, that are funny for, for everybody that, you know, he isn't yelling at. What is your favorite part of the empty stadium experience? Oof. Um, you know, it's, it's not as, as great. Like certainly having the fans there would, would be so much better. Um, j- just being able to be in there and, and see everything new, I think, you know, it's, it looks totally different from the inside. And the, the sound is great. So maybe the, the sound is a little bit better and you're able to pick up on that a little bit more without, you know, people cheering or clapping. But, uh, I, I would say that, you know, I mean, for, you know, fans are for no fans. I think the the new sound system is great. I mean, I think I think that's really uh, one of the more noticeable things. All right, so let's get into talking about the team a little bit. Joe Girard, right. I think, is is the logical starting point. Um, as I try to fight back, laughing a little bit here, and I don't know, just where are you at with Girard? I guess would be the question because I think for Tyler and I, we had pretty high hopes going into the year, and it's been sort of a roller coaster ride to this point. And then BC, we're coming off a high here. But how concerned were you after the sluggish games, and kind of where are you at with him right now? Yeah, it was, it was interesting, right? Because we haven't seen this out of Joe Girard at all in his career. You know, he was pretty steady his freshman year. Um, he, he, by all accounts, he had a really strong freshman year. I don't think he played his up and down. Uh, at any point as he has this year. So I'm I'm not willing to say that he's out of the slump yet because, you know, we, we thought he had a great game against Ryder and then he came out and played how he did against Rutgers and he's been inconsistent. Now he's coming off a good game. Let's see if he can put a couple of really good games together before we say he's out of the slump. Um, but, you know, I mean, if, if you're Syracuse, I think this year you have a little bit more back there with, with Kadari. Um, I think he gives you a little bit more than what the guys gave you last year. So you, you have an option. And I, I know there's there's been some, you know, people talking about Kadari should start, Joe should come off the bench. Um, you, you know, I think for, for Beheim, if he, he's looking at it through the lens of, well, well, I know Joe's a good player. He, he proved himself last year. And it's just a matter of time before he gets to that level and frankly should be playing even a little bit better than he played last year. So I, I think that's what, what he's seeing. Um, you know, in the first couple of games, you could very much say that Kadari was playing better in those games and he maybe he should have gotten more minutes. I think that's fair. But I think that's where kind of Bayheim's coming coming from with keeping him in the starting position. And, you know, what he sees going forward is that it's just a matter of time before Joe starts playing to the level that he's capable of. Do you think with Gerard, it's more he's struggling because there was that layoff that no one was expecting when the team had to take a COVID pause? Or do you think maybe it's more that when, especially when Buddy wasn't playing, when teams are compiling their scouting report, he's scorer number one, and you got to play him a little bit differently than you did when a year ago he was probably scorer number three on the depth chart? Yeah, you bring up a good point. I I think it's both, but I think it's more of the former. Uh, I I think he's a type of player that 
you know, basketball is a rhythm, rhythm game that applies for anybody, but, but Joe Girard's a shooter first. And when you can't get reps up and you can't, you know, get your shot off, your, your shot feels off, your mechanics are a little bit off. Um, you really, as a basketball shooter, you need to be shooting every day just to kind of have that same rhythm, that, that same repetition. So I think it was more that, um, but also you bring up a good point too, in that, you know, he gets Buddy Beheim back. That opens up things a little bit more on the perimeter. Um, all of a sudden, you know, we know Alan Griffin's a shooter as well, but now you got three shooters you have to account for out there. So uh, we saw him get some, some wide open looks at, at BC. You know, they were a little bit deep, but, you know, he got a couple couple looks off of, off of kickouts. Those are good looks where you could step right into your jump shot. You're looking right at the rim. You don't have to swing your body. You don't have to adjust. So that's, that's a good shot for him if he's open. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly having more reps in, more practices, more games, that's only going to help. And obviously having Buddy, Buddy back for him is going to help as well. Oh, it's the best time of the year. We've got the holidays, we've got hoops, and we've also got Coors Light. I love it, you love it, and there's no better way to pair the holiday season, the basketball season, than with Mountain Cold Coors Light in hand. It's the perfect way to unwind from a stressful time, and let me tell you, it's about as stressful as it gets right now. You've got the holidays, you're trying to manage that, you're trying to manage work, you're trying to get everything done in your life, so you need a little bit of time to unwind, hit reset, and there's no better way to do that than with Coors Light. And guess what? They're going to make it easy for you too because they'll do the delivering. You heard that right. Ditch the grocery store or corner store trips and let Coors Light do the delivery for you. That's right. Not just your local restaurants that are delivering to you these days. Coors Light can appear at your door in just a couple of clicks and boom, you're ready to chill. Go to get.coorslight.com and you can have a 6-pack, 12-pack, or even 24 Mountain Cold Coors Lights at your doorstep in under an hour. It's my go-to when I need a moment to chill. Go to get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Golden, Colorado. You hit on something earlier, and I think Tyler and I have talked about this a little bit, how it's not like if Gerard's having an off night, they have more options this year. And you look at the BC game, they have all five starters in double figures. And then the two freshmen off the bench score nine points. And we were kind of comparing it to the Georgia tech game last year, but the difference is in Georgia tech, it was Hughes in the first half. And then it was Bayheim in the second half. And if it wasn't one of those two, no one else could really step up. I mean, Gerard occasionally, but this team does feel just way deeper. And when you look at them from an offensive perspective, do you think this team has the capability to be like one of the best offensive teams in sort of recent memory at Syracuse? Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, even, even a higher ceiling with the way that you frame it there, even a higher ceiling than you had last year, you know, obviously Hughes is a great talent, but you have a little bit more in terms of depth and, Oh, by the way, you're playing Marek Dolajai at center. So that really gives you five scoring options out there, five guys that can really that can really put the ball in the bucket. And as you mentioned, too, there's a little bit more in terms of the freshmen. Woody Newton has played above expectations. He's looked really aggressive. Um, he's found a way to put the ball in the bucket when he's got in. And, you know, same with Kadari Richmond. I mean, I don't think Syracuse is really looking for him to be a big scorer, but he's capable. Um, you know, the, the shooting might not be there as much um, as it is for other players, but he's been able to put the ball in the bucket through these games and, um, you know, everybody, you know, one through seven in those positions can score. Um, that's already been proven. So it's it's definitely, you know, they definitely have a high ceiling. Um, you know, they broke 100 points for the first time in over four years. So that's certainly impressive, even if it is against a, a Boston College team that, you know, is one and five right now. But, uh, yeah, this, this team's got a high ceiling. And when they shoot the way that they shot at BC, 
you really can beat anybody in the country if you can keep that up. This just popped into my head, and I guess we can go round table on this, and we can all give an answer for this one, but this is a team that, through five games now, there have been more pleasant surprises than emerging disasters, right? And that's always a good thing through five games. So rank these three that have popped into my head right out of the gate. You've got Alan Griffin, who has looked like a phenomenal scorer and has shot the ball as well as he did at Illinois. He's over 40% from three. You've got Quincy Garrier, who is one of the most efficient players, not just in the ACC, but in the entire country. That's how good he's been this year. And then you've got Woody Newton proving that he can actually be an eighth man and Bayheim's hand may be forced and they will have to play eight guys. How would you rank those three in terms of most pleasant surprise to not least pleasant, but just third of the the three good things that have happened to Syracuse out of the gate? Yeah, I think the most surprising thing is, is Woody Newton's play because coming into the season, he wasn't a guy that was pegged in the rotation. You know, I think he's superseded Robert Braswell there. And, you know, you could really make the case that if Barama was there, maybe that additional forward doesn't need to play because you have Marek Allen and Quincy on the wing. So uh, I would say he's probably been the biggest surprise, not necessarily, you know, the biggest impact, um, but I would say that's probably the biggest surprise. And then, then really Alan Griffin's play, you know, Qu- Quincy, I think we know what he could do, you know, when healthy, um, we knew he could kind of have this kind of performance and, you know, sort of beat up against the smaller teams on the boards and have the double doubles that he's had. So I, I don't think that's as surprising. Um, but number two, I would put Griffin just because he's shown a little bit more at Syracuse than what he showed at Illinois. You know, kind of there, he was just kind of in a catch and shoot role uh, at Syracuse. You know, certainly that's the strength is, is shooting the ball. But he's been, he's done a little bit more. You know, we saw at BC, he, him take it off the bounce, you know, one, two dribble pull ups him get into the rim a little bit. So uh, he, he's been able to do some things. And, and I think that's probably been the second most surprising thing out, out of those three. Um, what, what, do, what do you guys think? Do you, do you agree? Disagree? I'll let Tim I would I would say Woody. Yeah, Woody's definitely the most surprising because I mean, when we were doing like our preseason podcast, I didn't think he was going to crack the lineup just based on what we were hearing about his shot and that his offense was behind his defense and everything. And then, you know, Tyler and I have been kind of joking on the podcast this week. Every single time we do a recap episode of a game, we get like 20 minutes in and we haven't said a word about Quincy Garrier. And that's probably because like Joe Girard is taking up so much of the spotlight, Kadari, and we have all this stuff to talk about. But it also is a testament to Quincy that we're just kind of expecting it at this point. We're only five games into the season. I didn't really know what to expect, whether he was going to start six man, how effective he would be, how good his shot would be. And here we are, like he was the best player on the floor at times against Rutgers and definitely the best player on Syracuse, I think, in that game. And it's not that much of a shock, which I think in that in and of itself means he's probably number two in that category. You know, it's funny. I think we're all going to kind of give slightly different answers because I think the the Quincy stuff to me is number one. And it's the we don't talk about it enough that I think is maybe the most pleasant part, almost that we expected this mega jump, but I don't think we're appreciating it enough. So for me, I'm going to put Quincy number one. I'm going to put Alan Griffin number two because I didn't know how he would handle it doing it in 30 to 35 minutes a night and so far he's shown that he's lived up to that and then Woody Newton I mean he's been fantastic (laughs) an absolute asset off the bench but at the end of the day I can only put so much importance behind an eighth man on a rotation so that's why I'm going to put him third in that pecking order but 
still, all of those are really good signs out of a team that we had a lot of questions about heading into the year. Yeah, no, no question. It's, it's interesting. You bring up a good point on Quincy in that he's been so good and he's been so solid, and yet he, he hasn't been the, the top storyline, you know, with so much going on with, you know, the pauses and then Buddy being out and then Kadari playing well, um, with Woody playing well and everything else going on, guys making shots. You know, we've seen this team make 15 threes, you know, once against Ryder and then 16 against Boston College. So there, there's been so many different storylines coming out of these games that, you know, Quincy's almost gotten buried a bit, but his performances have been, you know, noteworthy and, and certainly worthy of being highlighted too. All right. I, I got an important question here for you, James. We're, we're talking about all these guys that are stock up. We have not mentioned our, our good friend, big, bad Bobby Braswell, your guy. I, like what do we, what do we think about him right now? Because I'll be honest, I, I want him to be good so bad. I think all of Syracuse, the fan base really wants him to be good. I'm sure you're in the same thinking, but I look at where he's at in his career, the recruits they've got coming in or maybe coming in. It's just, it's tough for me to figure out if he's going to crack the rotation anytime soon. Yeah. Bobby B the Earl as Elijah Hughes would, would call him the Earl. Um, you, you feel terrible for him because you, you know, that he he's better than what he showed. I, I think we all know that. And, um, you know, I think we, we know the fan base certainly wants to see him do well, and he just hasn't been able to put that together. But I, I think he's been the most affected by the layoffs just because he's a shooter. And when you're a shooter, it's really hard to get rhythm, like I said. But also, he comes off the bench, too. And as a shooter, that's a really difficult thing. So that's why I think it was a little bit surprising for him to come into the game last year and make the shots that he did before he you know, ultimately got a medical redshirt and into the season. But, but this year, he hasn't made anything. Um, you know, against Boston College, he did have a couple impressive rebounds. That was kind of one area of his game that he was going to have to improve if he was going to crack the rotation. But, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, as it stands right now, how do you not play Woody Newton over him right now with what Woody's done? And then, you know, with a guy like Benny Williams coming in next year, it's, it's really hard to see him crack the rotation. You know, maybe some of the forwards move and maybe that opens up, you know, opens up some minutes for him. But, uh, no, certainly to start, you know, he hasn't made anything and you could tell he's frustrated out there. You know, he wears it on his face and you, you feel for him because, you know, he's a better player than what he showcased. Well, when you're sliding him down the depth chart, that's when we know it's it's official. He's he's in no man's land at this point, I feel like as a member of this Syracuse rotation. But w- one of the guys who, again, we haven't really even talked about this guy very much. And it just kind of shows the depth of this team this year where we can focus on more than just two guys. But Buddy Bayheim. And I think his emergence and, and the way that he's come about and, and returned and spaced out the floor, who do you think is gaining the most by Buddy Beheim being back with this team and, and seemingly picking up right where he left off against uh, the, in the opener against Bryant? Yeah, probably Gerard. I mean, you know, obviously Gerard had the good game against Ryder, but he, he really benefited from a lot of open looks with, with Buddy in the BC game. Uh, there's definitely a familiarity there. I think those two share a synergy just because they've known each other forever. They've played on the Albany City Rocks. Um, they're very familiar with one another and how they play. Um, they, they do play kind of similar a little bit and um, that they're both shooters first. So uh, I think Buddy, you know, is probably the most beneficial to Gerard. Uh, but but really everybody, too. I mean, it opens it up, opens up shots for Allen, um, opens up driving lanes for, you know, if Kadari's in the, in the, the game with him. Um, you know, it opens it up for Quincy on the inside. Um, you know, you got to stay home on those shooters. So it gives more, more room for Quincy and Marek to operate on the inside. And 
you know, we saw Quincy get some offensive rebounds against BC as well. So it, it helps the whole team. But, but yeah, I would say Gerard probably benefits the most. Well, the same people who brought you Built Bar, they've got a new product that you guys need to try. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It is basically a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling afterwards. Plus, it's natural, so it's just better for your body in general. And I know a lot of energy companies will say that five-hour energy without the crash feeling afterwards type of slogan or branding to it. I can attest to this one. Built Go is the best energy drink I've ever tried. If you've ever thought like, oh, monsters are pretty good, but they just don't really get it done for me. I'm telling you, Built Go is perfect for getting through that mental or physical wall in your day. And it's easy to keep on you. Keep it in a briefcase. When I go golfing, I keep it in my golf bag. It's just very easily portable. You can have it in your pocket even if you're just trying to have it so that later on in the day you have it to break through that wall, whether it's a work meeting or whatever you have that you want to make sure you're sharp for. Go to BuiltGo.com. Use our promo code LOCKED. It's just LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. You'll get 20% off your next order if you use our promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. I've got another roundtable question here for you guys. I was talking about this with one of my friends today, um, and it goes back to just sort of the general theme of what we're talking about here, which is, there's not a Tyus battle, not an Elijah Hughes, someone that is going to be like 20 points a game. It's probably going to be 16, 16, 16, or something like that amongst some of the top guys on this team in points per game. So what we were talking about was if you were a captain, like you're at the YMCA and the entire Syracuse team shows up and it's a pickup game and they all lined up and you've got first pick, your captain, and you want to play with one guy on the Syracuse roster. We can start with you, James, and then Tyler, you can give your pick. Who's like in the discussion and who is the guy that you're like, okay, I'm going to take him and we're going to go up against everyone else. Like he's my guy on the Syracuse roster that I want the most right now. If we're playing pickup, I'm picking Quincy Garrier first. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that in, in pickup basketball, you know, he's going to be able to get on the glass. He's going to get offensive boards. Probably not going to need the ball a ton. And uh, if I'm being frank, I'm not picking Joe or Buddy because they're going to take shots away from me. So I'm I'm taking Quincy and hoping <laughs> he can give me some shots. <laughs> what about you? He'll he'll scoop up your misses pretty well, I would imagine. Exactly. Uh, to me, I, to me, I think it's it's Alan Griffin, and maybe I'm just yeah. drinking a little too much of his Kool Aid early on. But when I look at what he does out there on the floor, like you bring up those names, you bring up Tyus, you bring up Elijah Hughes. And I feel like Griffin has most of the tendencies that those guys had in terms of when I look at Elijah, he was crafty. He knew how to tip the ball to himself. He knew how to rebound. And you also look at Tyus. He knew how to create his own shot. And that's something that I think uh, Alan Griffin does really well too. And so I kind of see Alan Griffin as the mold of those guys, the mold of the guys who have been the best players on Syracuse teams lately I see it mostly in Alan Griffin. Yeah, I think if if there's one guy to lead a team in scoring right now, if I had to pick, it's probably Griffin, just based on, as you said, Ty, he's kind of doing the Elijah Hughes things or the Tyus Battle things. And, you know, I, I kind of do think, I was thinking about this discussion, I kind of do think that Quincy would be probably the top pick from a pickup game perspective. And it's also just pretty amazing that he's kind of vaulted himself into the category of it wouldn't shock me if he leads the team in scoring on any given night. Now, 
I will say on the note of Quincy, like him doing it against BC is one thing. We'll see if he can compete against UNC and Virginia and Duke and some of the good front courts in the ACC right now. And on that note, James, like where do you think Syracuse kind of fits into the ACC conversation? I know it's early and we've seen Duke struggle. We've seen Virginia struggle. But what is their ceiling? And once it gets into the thick of ACC play, which way are you leaning with them? Yeah, it's interesting on the conference as a whole right now because, as you mentioned, Duke Duke is not that good. I don't think this is as talented as a Duke team as we've seen in the past. Uh, Virginia has struggled. Florida State's looked good. North Carolina has looked good in spots, but they really struggle shooting the ball. Um, so, so there's really, you know, there's no team this year that I think Syracuse can't beat, maybe with the exception of Florida State. Um, but, you know, Clemson has looked better to start. Um, out of the gate, they're five and zero. They've played really good defense thus far. Um, they've kind of got a veteran little squad there, so they're a little sneaky. Um, not not a super impressive Louisville team. So you know, it's it's very early. Um, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Syracuse could finish in the top five. Um, but also the the middle of the pack is is interesting as well because you've got a lot of solid teams in there as you kind of always do. It's going to be competitive towards the middle. So you know, we'll we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with, with games getting canceled and how that'll affect conference standings as well. But um, the, the way Syracuse has played thus far, there's a big range as to where they could finish. And I think that ceiling is a little bit higher than what we thought it was coming into the year. It's interesting because you bring up all those teams and Syracuse, I feel like, has jumped more teams and maybe they've been passed up by a team like a Clemson. But that's more a testament to how Clemson has performed than how Syracuse has maybe underperformed. And I'm, I'm not saying Syracuse has underperformed, but when you look at the the long term here, what is the thing that you feel like could hold Syracuse back the most? And maybe not like an overarching thing, like we, we can say, oh, defense as a whole can hold them back. But what is the is an individual maybe minutia thing that you think could hold them back moving forward? that we're not paying enough attention to right now and, and maybe holds them out of the top five in the conference. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because coming into the year, I would have said it's, it's the defense to make a, you know, a broad sweeping generalization. But, you know, looking at the way that they've shot the ball, I think it could be, you know, feast or famine there if they get over, overly reliant on the three. And, you know, what I, what I mean by that is there's probably going to be some nights where Syracuse struggles to shoot. And if they're, if they're taking a lot of those like they have in recent games, um, that could be, you know, tough, tough sledding. And you could really force the, the defense to do a lot of the work there to make it an ugly game and then try to get out with a win. Um, but it, but if, there's, if there's one area, you know, certainly they've, they've played well to start. Um, but, you know, on an off-shooting night, um, it, it can go both ways. You could probably lose a game that maybe you're not supposed to if you don't shoot the ball the way that you're used to. Yeah, I think the thing about this team with me, and I'm pretty high on the team, and I've liked what I've seen through these first five games. They haven't really beat anyone that is of note, really, but just the way they beat BC was impressive. The only thing that it gives me hesitancy to just go all in and say that they could be a top ACC team this year, it does feel like they're still very matchup dependent. And when they go against a guard-oriented team like BC, then I think we could see some games where they just light it up and and they look really really good and basically like they did the other night where they looked unstoppable but I still do worry about them going up against some teams that have size some teams that can rebound 
And like Rutgers kind of exposed Gerard a little bit in his shoot. Like so much of their game, as you were saying, depends on the three point shot. So if you get a team that can lock you down on the perimeter and then has some size in the front court, it's just going to be very matchup dependent once we get to like March, if that team does get in this conversation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and you bring up a great point on the rebounding. I think Rutgers is exactly the type of team that Syracuse is going to struggle with, you know, with big, physical, strong big men. Um, I look at a team like North Carolina that has four really good bigs that is a team that Syracuse is probably going to struggle with. Um, when, Especially when you have Marek Dolajai playing center, that you don't have Barama in there. Um, that's one less physical body in there that you could throw in there. That's five good fouls and someone who can rebound, and we all know the story about how he played toward the end of the year. So. Um, I, th- I think, you know, teams like Rutgers, you know, guys that are big and physical on the inside, that's the type of team that Syracuse is going to struggle with this year. When Barama returns, and again, we don't exactly know when that's going to be. That could be right at, at the start of the, the new year. That could be in February. I mean, the timetable is is very, very unknown right now. But when he does return, and assuming he does return, how much will that change what this team tries to do? It's interesting, right, because you have Marek out there, and he's played well in that position. He's played there before, and it probably gives Syracuse their best offensive lineup with him at the five. Uh, that that being said, you know, I do tend to think that when you play against a team like North Carolina, you're, you're going to want a Barama Sidibe in there to be a little bit more physical and to get on the boards and to help out, out anchor the bottom of the zone. So um, it's, it's interesting from that perspective. Now, another another component of that is if Barama comes back, do you put him in the starting lineup? If so, what do you do with Marek? Do you play him as the backup center? Um, do you move him to forward? And does that cut into somebody like Woody Newton's time, who has, for all intents and purposes, played really well to the point where it's probably difficult to keep him on the bench? So it, it could change some things. I mean, I think it's a good problem to have um, when you get him back, whenever he does come back. Um, you know, he's, he's supposed to come back in January. We don't know that could, you know, change depending on his recovery, but, um, it, it will change some things around, but I do think on the whole, even if it takes him a little while to get back, I think that's a good problem to have if you're Syracuse. You touched on the rotation a little bit there, specifically with Kadari going forward. If you're Jim Beheim or you're just sort of like inside the Syracuse program, how would you handle Kadari and when how many minutes would you give him slash how quick would you be to sort of evaluate what Joe's doing and then bring him into the game and and change it up as the game goes along yeah it's it's tough I mean I think on the whole it does benefit Joe a little bit more as a shooter to start and I I think it's you know you don't want to put a kid into a situation where it's going to hurt his confidence coming off the bench when you started the previous year and, you know, all the issues that you could have there, not that Joe's not a competent kid, but uh, you know, Kadari, if, if he comes off the bench, whether he starts, whatever that is, it's, it's tough to put a minutes limit on him or, you know, we have to play buddy and Joe 32 minutes game or whatever. You know, I think a lot of it just depends on how guys are playing that night and depends on the matchup. You know, if, if we see Gerard struggle like he did against Rutgers, I think then you say, okay, Let's roll with Kadari here. He gives us a little bit more. He can get by his guy. Um, probably a little bit better of a passer, penetrator, creator, all those things. Um, so in a game like that, you probably have no problem with Kadari playing alongside Buddy and letting those two ride. And and vice versa. You know, maybe there's a, another matchup where you need to take advantage of, of some shooting and um, Joe gives you a little bit more there. And maybe Joe plays 
you know, the 32 minutes that he's, he's accustomed to. And, you know, maybe Kadari only gets 16 if, if he takes eight, eight of Joe's and eight of Buddy's minutes. So um, I, I think it's, you know, some of it's matchup dependent and, you know, who, who plays well that night. Last thing, and then we'll get you out of here. When you flash back to, what was this, Saturday, and mm-hmm. the press conference, this is an off-the-court question we got for you, the press conference that Jim Beheim put on, absolute <laughs> clinic in, the, in Media 101. I mean, where does that rank for you in terms of press conferences? Because, I mean, Tim and I talked about this yesterday. We went in expecting, okay, he's going to stand up for his buddy, Coach K, and then we got way more than we bargained for. Yeah, he he's put on some all timers this year, man. I mean, between you know the is it the early, Zoom? Is it the fact that it's on Zoom? I I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit more distance between him and the press, and you, you know he feels like he can he can call people out a little bit more. But yeah, that that was one of the more interesting ones. I mean, I think you go from you know talking about the game and having Buddy back to you knew he was going to say something and defend Coach K and. We, we know Beheim's a loyal guy and we know his friendship with Coach K. So you kind of knew he was going to say something there. And then I don't even know how we got into politics and like Attila <laughs> the Hun was mentioned. I, I was like, wait, no, nobody even asked. No one asked anything any of these questions. The yeah. <laughs> how did we get here? Like all of a sudden we're, we're hearing about Attila the Hun. Uh, so it, it was, it was interesting. Um, it kind of just meandered back and forth. And, um, it was one of the more entertaining pressers, I guess. So, uh, you know, may, maybe not top five, but it's it's probably in, you know, top 20 territory somewhere. I, I think we can cross off Nate Oates from the potential successors to Bayheim at yep. this point. Now, I don't think that's happening the way he was talking about it. But, yeah, I agree. That was – he went all over the place in that press conference. Yeah, sh- shout out to Seth. That's a good point, too, because you know Bayheim's going to have some say. And, you know, if you, if you take a shot at Coach K, that's not going to sit well with him. So. Uh, we might be able to cross that one off the list, yeah. It's a shame, because I like Nate Oates. I don't know what your thoughts on him are, but I like him. I think he, I think he, he's doing a good job at Bama, and I think he, he might be a little bit of an asset. But I think we both know that th- this hire is going to be coming from within the program whenever that may be. It may be in five years, it may be in ten years, who knows. Well, we'll have to wait and see. That, that That's a, a topic for another day. James, appreciate your insight as always. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. And you can check out his work, noonsmagician.com. And you can find him on Twitter at James Zuba. So be sure to check out all of his work, not just with Syracuse. He also does stuff all around college basketball. So be sure to check all of that out. Thanks so much for your time. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Tim, Tyler, always a pleasure. Uh, always appreciate the conversation. It's insightful. And uh, thanks for having me on, as always. Much appreciated. Always love talking to that guy, James Zuba, one of the best out there on the Syracuse Twitter sphere. So be sure to check out his work. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to get into some more hoop stuff because Syracuse pop-up game against Northeastern. So we'll talk a little bit of Northeastern, get you primed up for that one. It's also early signing day tomorrow in football. So we will get you everything you need to know about this Syracuse recruiting class and also what's next for recruiting. What does Syracuse need to do to get back to where it was back in 2018 and even beyond that, before that, when they were perennially going to a bowl game and being a fixture in college football? How can they get back? And is this recruiting class the start of something big for this program? We will dive into all of that on tomorrow's show. Thanks so much for listening. Tim and I will be back and talking with you tomorrow.